podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, good evening and welcome to the LFC Day Trippers. I'm Emmett and this is the viewer's voice. With me tonight is Gav, Matt and Ron back by popular demand as well. Gav, how are you? Uh, I'm not happy. Oh. Um, due to play golf at half six tonight, rain started at five, hasn't stopped. And I ended up in a bowling alley instead. So, um, no, I'm not happy with, with, with the weather or my daughter at the moment. So, um, let's just, let's just, let's just brush over. Let's keep going. <laughs> Matt, how are you? I'm better now that I'm picturing Gav in a bowling alley with his golf club <laughs> slung over his shoulder, just steaming mad at the rain. I should have brought like a little hold all, shouldn't I? And like pretended to take a bowling ball out of, of, of a bag and stuff like that. But no, it wasn't that fancy at all. And Ron, how are you? Uh, good. I don't know if this is a good time to mention. I just got uh, my tea time confirmed for Sunday. So I'm looking. Hopefully, uh, Gab's, Gab's luck doesn't transfer to my Sunday. But uh, oh, hold on. other than that, I think we'll be good. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Uh, you're a golfer, Ron? Yeah. Okay. And um, it's not that long a flight. Where? Washington, D.C.? Exactly. I could definitely come and play golf in Washington, D.C. Yeah, we got a few good courses out here. Okay, let's talk about that afterwards. Absolutely. Uh, before we kick off, just I'm, I'm interested to to kind of hear from yourself and Ron, Matt, on where did you watch the game last week and are you over it yet? Is that for me? No, Matt. Oh. Uh, I, I watch it at home like I watch all my games. No sense having a big 70-inch TV and having to go some crowded bar and uh, – yeah, I, I slept about 16 hours afterwards between the drinking and the sadness because, you know, we lost the final. But uh, I'm over it now. It's uh, it's all good. The future is bright for this team. And uh, I don't go on Twitter, so I don't have to deal with all the silly nonsense starting already. Exactly. And Ron, how about yourself? I actually watched it uh, with a group of friends, most of whom happen to be Chelsea supporters. So, uh, oh. yeah, uh, that that was that was an egregious error on my part, apparently. Um, but you know, worse mistakes have been made in life. <laughs> so, so you didn't even have a break between finishing the match and kind of having a few moments to yourself. It was they were straight on the attack there and then. Yeah, they were straight on the attack. But fortunately, um, it all it, it kind of worked out in terms of having an argument because. See, everything they said, I said, yeah, but the only two trophies you could have won this season, we took them from you. So, you know, uh, <laughs> it, was, it, it, it wasn't too bad, but I, no, nevertheless, I didn't get a chance to like really revel in the, you know, and, and kind of get over it till the next day. That's tough. And Gabby, I think you were out with Keith and Shawnee, were you? Um, I was out with Shawnee um, and numerous Lawson's, um, <laughs> like that are just the soundest people in the world. And then, Loads of friends of the Lawsons who were just great crack. Um, Phil was out. Are they in Lawsons? Um, in Lawsons or out Lawsons? I'm not. I'm not too sure. <laughs> but they were all really nice people. Um, Phil was out. Steve was out. Um, Brenzy was out. Um, Carl was out. And um, I, I, I actually met Dylan O'Rourke in the Camden. Um, I hope it was Dylan O'Rourke because I looked very like him. And he said, all right, get after me. Um, then I invited him over to have a drink and he disappeared. He probably looked over and went, not with all them. Not a fucking chance. Um, but no, look, it was, yeah, we're in a, we're in a great pub. Huge, huge screen and it packed to the rafters. Plenty of Madrid fans. Um, good atmosphere. Um, mm. 
before, during and after, to be honest. And um, yeah, it was, look, it was a good night. We had a good laugh, but um, didn't win the game. Was I'm over it quite quickly. When I look at what Liverpool done this season, I was over it quite quickly. Um, it was one of those where, you know, I said it already, I'd probably rather play it shy and lost 1-0 and went never turned up. And you just go, never turned up. But this one, we kind of did turn up and so did their keeper, to be honest with you. Um, and look, it's it's one of those things. Dr. Steve asked, he all is gorgeous as shiny, all the lessons. Um One or two of them are fantastic looking. Um, not as good as shiny, but um, incredibly good looking family, to be quite honest. Perfect. Well, look, what we'll do is we'll kick off a lot of noise this week, obviously, nearly straight after the, the Champions League final on Saturday about Sadio Mane and his proposed move to uh, Bayern. And then obviously this week as well, then we had noise coming out again from uh, Mo Salah camp. So, Ron, in terms of the front line, it looks like Sadio is is basically done and dusted. It's just a fee that needs to be agreed. Um, and some say that we've already replaced them with Luis Diaz. Um, I've, I'd probably be of the opinion that I'm happy with having five or six options up front. So actually, if Sadio goes, I think he should also be replaced. Uh, I don't think Luis Diaz was his replacement. Where do you see or how do you see the front line shaping up next season? And do you have anybody in mind that maybe could be Sadio's replacement? Uh, I do. Um, but you know, first I, I got to start off by saying, in, in no way, shape, or form, do I do I in a world do I want to live in a world where I see Sadio Mane uh, leave Liverpool. But you know, it looks like we're going to be resigned to our fate here. Uh, so I, I want to get that caveat out of the way to, to say that all things being said, um, I do think we're in a good position to deal with the loss of deal with the loss the loss of Mane. I don't think Lewis is is his replacement. Um, but if we're going to add to the front line, I, I am rather uh, intrigued by this Dar- Dar- the Darwin Nunez situation. Uh, I do think, you know, having a young fellow of his capability, because, you know, everybody looks at him as a traditional, more of a traditional number nine. And I think that's largely to the way, slightly to his game, but mostly to his size. But if you look at him, he actually plays out, he's actually pretty good on the wing and, and, and with carrying in the ball. So I think... That is somebody because he's because he can play in more than one position up front uh, would be kind of my leading pick at this point uh, if we're going to replace uh, Sadio Mane. But man, I really hate to see him go. Um, if Salah wants to leave, that's that's that'd be the worst case scenario uh, to lose them both. Um, I'm torn on as to whether or not you just take him for the last year, let him run it down, um, or you try to get as much money as you can. If you can afford it, I'd, I'd say let him stay. Let him write it down. But you know that that's a that's a tough business call. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's a hard conversation to have because these are these are, these are two worlds you don't want to live in. But you know, I, I trust these guys to get it right, though. Good stuff. Um, would you? I, I think with with the Salah situation, I think he's already said he's staying. Um, but then there was the other comments of I won't be sold and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think our, our hands are tired. I, I, even if we accept a bid or someone makes a bid and we accept it, he can just decide not to go. Um, I think it, at this stage, if it's a case that he's not going to sign a deal, I think they probably have resigned themselves to him running down the uh, running down his contract. 
What's your thoughts on it, Matt? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's Sadio leaving. It's a bummer. But at, at some point, you know, the fabled front three was going to break up and move along. We all kind of figured that it would be Bobby first out the door. But, uh, you know, hopefully Firmino can stick around because I think he's important to the team. Uh, I get the feeling that Mo's going to resign. It feels like there's a lot of posturing going on. You know, the team went back with an increased offer. I think they said they increased it 15% or something like that. And if worse comes to worse and he wants to run down and leave on a free transfer, you know that he's going to be fired up because every goal that he scores for us increases his signing on bonus and his weekly wage for wherever he'll end up landing sort of thing. So it's not like he's going to throw his toys out of the pram, but it's, I think Mo senses that he can reach a, a pretty special place in the history of this club. And he seems like the type of player that, that, knows about those things and they might be important to him, you know, winning golden boots and, you know, uh, you know, getting a hundred goals and stuff like that. These things seem to drive him. And when he looks at where he is in the pantheon of great Liverpool forwards, he could, he could really leave himself in a legendary position in this club. If he's not already, you know, he could just further cement it. So I think he's going to stay. Um, for me, one of the big things about the attack going into next year and it kind of spills into the midfield is we have no idea how Klopp intends to use Fabio Carvalho at all. He could be, you know, like Harvey Elliott was, we thought, that, you know, left-sided forward option for it, uh, or he could be playing in the midfield. But uh, I do think Luis Diaz replaced Sadio Mane that was the Sadio at the start of the season. He's that left-sided attacker. I think that's his position now, much like Salah owns the right. And it's just a matter of, needing to replace him in the middle. But Diogo Jota plays best through the middle, I would say. Bobby Firmino is still there. It would be nice to get another striker in because we do need to replace Origi's minutes. But, you know, Taki Minamino, if he sticks around, he's proven he can score goals for Liverpool. You know, he's a man for an occasion as well, too. And he's only going to be further ingrained into the team. So I don't think we need to be taken to the cleaners for, you know, 80, 90 million for Darwin Nunez. I think we can... We can play smart with it because we've got good players that, for the most part, have pretty good injury records. Gav, do you think we replace Sadio if he goes? Um, yeah, but I don't know if it's a Sadio replacement, to be honest. Mm. I think I, I kind of agree that they've probably seen this coming. Because if what Max <coughs> says is, per, is perfect. What what I said it to Shani and Keith earlier in the discussion. What, what happens with Carvalho is the one that's thrown me all together, right? If you throw him into a front position, do you go, right, he's replacing Origi, right? Um, if you throw him into a midfield, does that mean that if you're looking for two midfielders, you're only looking for one? I think he is the kind of wild card where you're not too sure where he's going to walk. I do think there was Diaz was Mane's replacement. I, I do, because Klopp has said, and, and like Salah signing, for me with Salah, and I'm, I'm jumping from player to player here because that's how confused I am over the whole thing, right? <laughs> and it's, it's actually doing my own head in at this stage because I just keep putting these... I'm literally writing down these names four or five times a day, looking at them going, no, Gav, you still haven't got a fucking clue. Um, piss off and go bowling. Um, <laughs> but but with Salah, I don't know if he signs the deal. I think Klopp has made it perfectly clear that any player that has a year left in their deal knows exactly where they stand and the, the offers are on the table. He said that, okay? Um, they're in no doubt where they stand. It's not like the club are running away from them. <clears throat> that's people just immediately think Salah with that, but I definitely think it's um, Mane and possibly Firmino as well, and Milner to an extent that we get on to later. With Salah, 
I wouldn't let it run down. I'd put a date on it and I'd say, look, if, if Liverpool are sticking to their guns here, they're better off saying to Mo Salah, in my opinion. Right, listen, that's the deal. We're not going you can you can go to as many journals as you want, right? Or you can get journals to put out as much kind of smoke screen, smoke and mirrors shy that we've seen in the last couple of days from an absolute clickbait base site that I don't know why people pay attention to, right? We've seen it from another fella going back a couple of months ago or a couple of weeks ago as well, right? They're better off just from in my opinion saying, Listen, Mo, we're not letting you run down this contract. Okay? Simple as that, because there's going to be a circus around it. There already is. Right, he said he's staying. For, uh, he's definitely staying before the Champions League. And uh, already, I'm seeing posts with Man City and Chelsea crest beside his name, going, "Where is he going in a year?" Now, you imagine that when the season starts, and you want to start picking up people when the season's in, right? Um, I think they're better off just saying to him, "Listen, there's a date on this. There's the deal. If you don't want to sign it, we're gonna we're gonna start accepting offers for you." And I know that's hard for people to take. And I've seen people in the thing saying, "If if, if players want." Three and four hundred grand, you know. Um, John, I think it was, says if you want three or four hundred grand, what do we not pay them? We're, we're Liverpool, not Norwich. Yeah, we are Liverpool, but we don't pay three and four hundred grand a week. That's what Manchester United do, and you look where they are. The Liverpool run in a certain way, they spend everything they make, they don't take any money out of the club, so they're spending a fortune in, in wages that have tortoised wage bill in the league, I think. But getting back to it, Mane goes. I think Luis Diaz is a replacement. I think it's an Origi replacement you're looking at. But I think it's not going to be a Origi type replacement where he's going to be one of those where you go, wow, well, he's fifth choice. I think it's going to be somewhere to go in and go, right, we're, we're replacing Origi with someone really fucking good. And we're going to make it so competitive across the front three positions. I think that's what will happen. Um, Minamino, I'm not, I'm not too sure. And I think he, he's been brilliant this season when he's been asked to come in. But if you're telling me that we still have Firmino and Jota, Right, you still have Luis Diaz. Salah stays. I think he should go or sign. But if he signed and stays, you've got Salah, Firmino, Jota, Diaz. You've got Carvalho thrown in there. Maybe Minamino, but I think they'll definitely bring in. They'll definitely bring in one, but I don't think it'll be a Mane replacement because I think the Mane replacement was signed in January. The Mane replacement was meant to be signed this summer, but they had to trigger it earlier because of interest from sports. That's just my take on it. Um, we, we'll 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 have to wait and see, but um, overall, I think there's I think there's um, I think there's 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 lots can happen, Emmett. There's absolutely lots that can happen. Oh, Emmett's frozen. Okay, well, I'll take over. Um, look, I don't know. Loads of people in the chat are, like are saying like James said they'll have have Suarez for a for a for a year for a laugh, which is which is cool. Um, Veranda says Bobby will take Origi's place. Um, you know something? It's it's a uh, it's. I just think it's 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 very very hard. Like like Matt and Ron, right? Before we get we get em, we let Emma take over again. Out of who was there, who would you let go? Forget who you bring in. Who do you think could go? Matt, sorry. Uh if Leeds want to come in and offer us twenty million for Takumi Minamino, I think you know just with the way the club treats his players, I don't think he would stand in the way of that transfer. And that's great money, Lane, for the seven and a quarter that we paid for him or whatever. You know, if we double the money on Minamino, but it, it, that that necessitates. I mean, if anybody goes, you have to bring somebody in. But he's he's the only one. It's I like the idea of Bobby Firmino being there to kind of nurture Jada. If Diogo's going to play through the middle. 
There's nobody better to learn our system off of than Firmino. They speak the same language. They seem to get along really well. So I certainly don't want to see Bobby go uh, for next year. I mean, if he wants to re-sign or if he wants to leave at the end of his contract, then that's a bridge we have to cross when it gets to it. But to me, Minamino is the only one I can really see going out of the front now that uh, Origi and Sadio are gone. I'm wrong. I have to agree. Um, it has to be Minamino. Um, and I think, you know, even if, and if it does work out that way, what it, what it means is, um, you know, not just, you know, our, how we're going to be competing on all, all fronts, which is why we're going to bring someone in, but the quality of the front line that we'll be putting out in cup games, a la like we did this season, Will be only that much better because it'll likely be you'll have a Bobby sitting up sitting up front, um, you know, and, and we'll see. It's, it remains to be seen who'll be sitting next to him, but I think unfortunately it would have to be him. He's the one that's going to guard the most interest, going to get the best feed for, probably for him. Uh, although I do like Taggy a lot, but it'd have to be him. Okay, Emmett, you're back. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what I missed. Um, I know you were talking about um, people who, who would we let go. I don't know whether we spoke about anybody that would be coming in. Um, but I had a little kind of inkling on uh, Ismail Sar from Wofford, possibly. So a, a Senegalese forward player for a Senegalese forward player. I know he hadn't been great the kind of back end of last season, but... Um, it's somebody that we've been in, interested in before. So I don't think, and I kind of a, a agree, I can't remember who it was that said that we shouldn't be going out and splashing 80, 90 million on a Darwin Nunes. I just have a sneaky feeling that they'll pull another kind of 30, 40 million absolute worldly out uh, of the bag um, and to bring them in. So like you said, there, Gav, it's not somebody to come in necessarily to <clears throat> to sit on the bench or do the Origi role. It's somebody to actually come in and break into the team. But I think we've seen we've seen with Salah, we've seen with Manny, we've seen even with Jota, um, that we're able to do that on a on a kind of slightly lower budget. Um, so I don't see it being a massive big name necessarily like Nunes, um, but it's probably going to be somebody that's going to surprise us and then going to even surprise us even further um, when the season starts. Um, and something that you kind of touched on, Matt, it's um, Carvalho. I think Klopp has, and it's natural that a, a, a manager will change tactics from season to season or as he as he goes through the seasons. But I think we've seen kind of a change in nearly every season. Like this year was the high line. Um, in previous years, it um, it was a, was it a 4-2-4? I can't remember what it was. He started off with playing as a 4-3-2-1, I think it was he started off with, and then he moved to the 4-3-3. So we could see a completely different change of tactics uh, going into next season as well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't imagine it being an absolute world-class uh, world star already, kind of uh, someone that's made a name for themselves. I, I think it's going to be another one of these that's like, well, I didn't I didn't see that coming, kind of a thing. So, forward line. Um, we also need to talk about midfield. I think midfield has probably been our probably the weakest side of our game maybe this season um or players injured players not necessarily performing um players starting to perform and, and getting injured um an aging midfield as well uh, you touched on earlier on uh, Gav with Milner is he going to go is he going to stay Matt 
how do we progress with this midfield? What do we do to refresh it? Who stays, who goes? Well, I mean, I think we're all just going to take it as read that Chamberlain won't be a part of the squad for next season. Like, it's just something I kind of resigned myself to. I think I did it the same last summer and was surprised when he was around. And, like, he had 17 appearances and nine starts in the Premier League. Like, turns out we actually used Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain a fair bit. Um, But going through and looking at the starts and the appearances in the Premier League, uh, if you presume that our front, th- uh, our starting midfield three is Fabinho, Henderson, and Thiago, the other five midfielders we used, Naby, Milner, Chamberlain, Jones, and Elliott, had 31 starts and 85 appearances. So at the absolute minimum, we need to be able to cover those, uh, those appearances and those starts. And if Milner and Keita put in roughly about the same levels of appearances next season as they did this season, and Jones and Elliott start about 10 games, come on in 20 games each, that covers that. So like once I started looking at it and laying out the number of appearances and things, we're actually not really light in midfield, even if we lose Chamberlain, because we lost Jones for or we lost Elliott for so much this season. When Curtis Jones kept getting his eyeballs poked out. Uh that if those two can stay healthy, which you'd expect them to, they're both young kids in really good shape, and with Carvalho coming in wherever he's going to play on the front line, uh, I've kind of sort of talked myself out of it because like, I wouldn't mind seeing us bring in a midfield player, and I've written down about 10 names that we've been kind of rumored to be in with, but if you look at that Real Madrid midfield, Luka Modric is as old or older than James Milner, Cruz is older than Henderson. Casemiro is the same age as Fabinho. And nobody was worried about James Milner being tired after the semifinal of the World Cup, unlike Luka Modric. James Milner is in an impeccable shape. I, I presume he's going to stay for next season. I think he almost has to. Um, I don't see major reconstruction being done. I think if there's a deal there to be made, there's a few pretty promising names who uh, are out of contract at the end of next season that I think if we could get somebody in that 25 to 40 million pound range, I, I think it would be good because I think the the club's going to keep their powder dry and try to get Jude Bellingham. Give us one of the names. Uh, Yves Basuma out of contract next season, but he only had 26 Premier League appearances. Yuri Tielemans out of contract next summer. Had 32 appearances in the Premier League. Got tons of experience. He knows the league. You know, it's, imagine what he would do under a real coach instead of under Brendan Rodgers. Imagine if Klopp and Landers got their hands on Yuri Tielemans, what they could turn him into. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at a guy like Gavi. I mean, there's a major age gap in our midfield. We've got Carvalho, Elliott, and Jones that are all in the 19-20-21 range. Naby is 27, and everybody else, by the time next season starts, is 29, 30, 31, 32, 36 in the case of Milner. We don't really have anybody. And of the names I wrote down, Ruben Neves, Yuri Tielemans, Nicola Barella, Yves Basuma, uh, Frankie de Jong, and the Sangare guy that we've just been linked with, those are the guys that are in that 24, 25-year age bracket that uh, if you're going to spend big, that seems to be the age bracket you're going to want to go for. So. So if the 6th of August comes around and we've not added to the midfield, you'd be happy and confident enough going into next season? I mean, 
I, I won't have been happy because I'll have to wade through all the shit of people complaining about FSG when I think they're actually pretty good, pretty good owners, if not great owners. Uh, but I, I do have faith that we've got a structure and system where the, the leadership and experience that guys like Henderson and Milner have, I can really see that filtering down into a guy like Curtis Jones. Like, there's no way that Henderson and Milner don't have him firmly under their wings and are showing him all of the things that they've learned in their, you know, two and a half decades of playing Premier League football. And I think it's going to benefit him. Uh, yeah, like we've got some really exciting young kids in there that like, the only the only caveat is injury. If you end up, you know, if Fabinho gets hurt, well, we're in some serious trouble. You know, if Henderson or Tiago is out for a long period of time, we're in some serious trouble. And, I, I don't know if it's worth spending vanity money that we might not have to address an injury problem that might not come. Always, Gav, what's your thoughts on midfield? I think I personally think what we need is a right-footed Simicas for the right-back cover, uh, a midfielder and a forward going into the summer. What's what's your opinion on midfield? Um, look, Fabinho, Thiago, Henderson... They're going to be there. There's no doubt about it. Um, Milner's Milner's a, Milner is a curious one. He he's out of contract on the 30th of June, and um, we're into June now. Um, if you believe everything that's being said, he's being offered a new deal. I think it's a one year extension. That's gone back probably a month, a little over a month now when, it, when that was revealed, or maybe a little bit more than that. Um, Elliot not won't go anywhere. Jones I don't think won't go anywhere. Ox is the one that you probably think will go out. But as a lot of people have said in the, in the chat, you know, you have to watch this homegrown and um, this homegrown quota, which is Liverpool are right on the limit for last year. I think they only named the 24-man squad in the Premier League because of the homegrown stuff. Um, so you have to kind of watch that. <coughs> I think they need to bring somebody in. I don't think that's... I think I think Shawnee said it the other night, you need help. Um, when it comes to Fabinho, he can't play all these games. You know, he just can't because he see like Henderson goes in there and doesn't do a bad job. But you know, Henderson isn't getting any younger either. There's a lot of miles in them legs as well. You know, the sort of way um, would being a six suit better run a bit less. Doesn't have to press as much, maybe so. But he's not as good as Fabinho in there. I and mean, this is the margins we're dealing with now. It's you, you know you can't drop off five percent in any position. Um, although a 5% drop-off in some of our positions is still a brilliant, brilliant player. But what we're up against and what we're competing against is just unbelievable, you know, the sort of way. Um, I would just go inside Joe Bellingham. That's what I would do. Simple. I I think I think you just... You get rid of Ox and you go to... Because the talk around Bellingham is that he has a... Um, he has a buyout clause from next year, which is around eighty million pounds, right? So, if Liverpool want to make if Liverpool want to make a, a statement this summer, you go and you do Joe Bellingham. He's English, you know what I mean. Um, he fit the homegrown quota because he was at Birmingham, wasn't he, before he went to Borussia Dortmund? So he'll fill that. Um, he's a fantastic player. He's eighteen or nineteen years of age. I know. I get Matt's point with regards to. You know the 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 age difference and stuff, but this is a guy. He's not like 
he's not as much like Jones as El- and Elliot. He's Aparusi now two seasons, I think. And he literally is one of the first names on the team sheet for them. So he's played an awful lot of football, both domestically and European. So if they want to do something like that, the talk is that'll go, that'll go to next season. But then there's talk around Keita. Look, look, Ox goes and you have to replace him, numbers-wise and quality. You bring someone in, that'll do a better job. And every player that leaves after that, you need to replace them. You can't go any lawyer than what the squad is. I'm not saying it's it's absolutely really light, but you can't with the numbers of games you're expecting to play and the intensity that we play at and stuff like that. So Bellingham is probably I'm probably being a bit pie in the sky, but I don't I don't see why Liverpool just don't go to Bruce Storm and go, listen, there's hundred million quid. He, he's he's eighteen years of age. You know what I mean? Play with Liverpool for a decade and still be in his prime. You know, sort of way. And I know it's probably something where they look down the line, but a little bit like Luis Diaz, you look and go, we have to do this six months earlier. You might have to do this one 12 months earlier. And you might have to bite the bullet a little bit and you might have to make that big sign up front. And you might have to, you know, make that right back cover sign. And you might have to spend an awful lot of money, but that's the way it is. You're going to spend it next year anyway. You're going to spend it next year anyway. doesn't matter. Um, so for me, if Milner signs that deal, he stays... I would, so, I would, if you swapped, if you told me you were swapping Bellingham for Ox, fine. I think you're making your squad better. And then if you were to accept the bid for Naby Keita, you would then have to go out and buy another one. Who that is, I don't know. Um, but midfield wise, I think there's plenty left in that midfield. But I think there's one and possibly two that you could move out and replace and make us better. Now, people will say, you could, oh, you could sell five of them and buy five and you'd be much better. Yeah, you could, but, you know, we're living in the real world here. So, yeah, two. Two, um, two out, two in. But if it was, for me, if it was Ox out and Bellingham in, yeah, I'd go with that. And I know Bellingham seems a bit um, far away, but why not? You're going to try it next year anyway. And, Ron, for you, the midfield, so is it a case of Ox is gone, in your opinion? And accept the bid possibly for Keita. I think the rumour was 45 to 50 million um, for Keita. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in alignment there. I think I think that that's probably going to be the have, have to be the situation, um, not only for the benefit of Liverpool, but also for the benefit of Ox. I mean, you know, at this point in his career, he really, need, he really should be playing more regularly. Um, if, even if that means playing for mid table side, you know, it, he just, it, Seeing him waste away on the bench, um, it's kind of kind of sad. Um, the thing though is, for me, I think I agree with Gab's point that he was talking about that Shani said, which is the, the, the key for the midfield to me is uh, getting a, a Fabinho replacement or or Fabinho understudy better yet, um, because what we, the strategy we we used towards the latter end of the season was, well, if if Fabinho needs a rest or he gets a knock, then we put Henderson Henderson there. That doesn't really help us because we have Henderson. Whatever criticisms you want to or you want to you want to lay on him, the only thing that I think is actually accurate about him is the fact that he isn't starting to get to a stage where we need to manage his minutes a little more. Um, he's played a lot of football. He's going to keep playing a lot of football for us, and the only way we're going to keep him at because um, he's starting to pick up a little, little niggling injuries more and more. The way we're going to keep him at optimal level is to not have him filling in for Fabinho and playing his regular amount of minutes. Um, that's not really help. That's not really going to help us. So I think addressing that um, is actually the biggest thing we need to do in, in midfield. Um, 
letting Ox go to, to, to fund that. Also, maybe using Nebuchadnezzar, money for Nebuchadnezzar to fund that. I'm not too particular about how that go, how that happens, but I do think um, if we if we let two go, we do need to because as we as we just witnessed, uh, we are, we have a squad that's capable of playing every single game possible in a season, and you know you can't be, you can't be short a single body if you're going to do that. Gav, do you think that the five subs? next year makes that kind of, you know what I mean, say, oh, they won't join for a place on the bench. Do you think it makes it easier for a player to move now, knowing that he has to break into, look, a player should always want to move and think, I'm going to go and I'm going to break into that first team. Do you think it's it kind of softens the blow a little bit now with the with the five subs next year? Um, I think it makes it easier to pick an eleven. Uh, when you're able to tell nine of them they're on the bench and five of them might be used, but I'm not interested in players that want to come to Liverpool and, you know, uh, get a pat on the head and uh, cuddle and be told you're on the bench. I want players to turn up to Liverpool and think they're playing, you know, and I don't care who they are. I don't care how much they cost. And I mean, when I would say that, I don't, whether they're five million or 50 million, I want them to turn up and consider themselves to be a first team player for Liverpool. And if they, if they manage to shift someone out of the team, like a Fabinho or a Henderson or a Salah or whoever. Um, that's what you want. Um, the five subs rule helps with your rotation in the squad, um, your ability to change games, rest players, but you can only you can only um, change directions of games with that five subs if the quality is there. At the moment, the quality is there, but you always want more. And that's not me being you know, hungry and, um, you know, being like, oh, oh, I don't even know what the word is, spoiled. It's not that. It's, it's when I look at it, I, like, you take Ox, for instance. O- Ox doesn't take his chances this season. His body language was awful at times. But there probably was a spot on the bench from there if he put his mind to it. And he didn't seem to. We seem to be able to squat a lot for a long time. So if someone comes in and has a better attitude, better impact and, pushes a player down onto the bench while they play or is on the bench and raring to go on 65 every week um, with the with the belief that they're going to come on, do something and get into the team the next week. What's the problem? You know, and the five subs is great. I think it will benefit us. But it, uh, you have to have the right things at your disposal to make that benefit the absolute most. And you, you have to remember you're pushing every last sinew of, of ability and drive and fitness to actually... To actually get where, like, not even where you need to be, to just to get in contention. That's how that's how hard it is now. And um, <clears throat> look, there's players there at that squad now that know they're not getting on the bench. You know, there's players there that even if they're on the bench, they know they're probably not getting on. And if you went back and looked at the amount of times you could use five subs in big games, use them. And you see the amount of players that are kind of odd ones out, you can kind of tell then, you know, the sort of way. But look. Uh, I, the reason I say it is, is that you see people suggesting the likes of, like like I said, go and get Bellingham. And then the, the answer to you get from most people is, oh, he's not going to be happy with just coming over and getting a seat on the bench. Who's he actually going to replace? Who does he shift out of the team? So I'm, I'm all for, I'm sure, any player. We all know the kind of the background checks and all that the, the scouts do on these players, that they're all coming in to absolutely get a, a place in the team. Um, so who do who do they actually, do you know what I mean? They come in and who do they push out? 
Yeah, but that's not, but, but that's not but the conver- that's not the conversation to have. Like that that's going yeah. back that's going back to times when Liverpool weren't very good and you could pick an eleven really easily. And when you are linked with a player, you go, Oh, will he replace him in the team? That's that's not the way I ever look at it now. Um you know Um like the it's a squad. You know what I mean? And when a player's coming in, you don't go, oh, like, all right, in certain circumstances, you go, is he coming in to replace him in the squad, i.e., uh, you know, a, a striker for Origi, right? But when players are coming in, get away from who he's going to replace in the squad, in the team. You just go, is he good enough to be in this squad and be, and is he good enough to be in this team? Yes. But there's 17 like him. That's brilliant. If there's 17, 18 that are absolutely well good enough to play in this team, that's all you want. Let the manager pick the team. Let the manager pick the team. Sorry. Like what? And I I think Klopp is, there's there's a lot of precedent under Klopp, particularly recently, um, where if you come in, you get, you put in the, you you put out the right sort of output um, and you you put in the right, 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 right amount of work. I mean, you can, you can break into it. Like, you know, when Jada came in, you know, we all thought Jada was going to be all right, but no one had any eye on him breaking breaking into the front three, right? Similar similar situation with Kanate. He comes in, he's looking at trying to get a spot out of somewhere off Frodo Van Dyke and Joel Matip, two amazing center backs. And then we have, you know, a guy who's been at the club for a long time and is loved by all, Joey, Joe Gomez. You know, is he really expecting to get in front of them, in front of Joe Joey? But he did. He definitely jumps the queue, starts in a Champions League final. Um, so it all really depends, you know, on the, on the minds of the player and, and the ability that they, that they want, that, that they, and the drive that they put into it. Um, I think, I think, I think it can, I think it can be done. You know, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it, it, it's possible. And more recently, Diaz. I think Diaz has absolutely cemented his place in a starting 11 for us. If you can cement your place in a starting 11 for us these days. Um, so moving on, um, last Saturday at the Champions League final, um, a great kind of occasion, um, an occasion that thousands upon thousands of people would have been looking forward to for a, a long, long time, would have been saving up for for a long, long time, was marred by um, heavy-handed French police, um, incompetent stewarding, I want to say, um, or, 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 or security checks um, uh, put in place by UEFA. Um, and kind of doubling down on that, kind of halfway through the match, I think UEFA released statements and the um, French blamed up to 40,000 um, fake tickets on the delay and on the scenes that happened outside. Uh, I think UEFA have since retracted some of their statements um but the french and the french government are kind of doubling down on their statements gav what's your take on all of this um it's appalling from the french authorities and in fairness a lot of what i've read from people you know french people in paris um french radio television wherever it might be um, seem to be squirming under what their their people are saying. They're telling lie after lie. It's basically lie after lie, and it's all to try to protect themselves because I think they have a Rugby World Cup and an Olympics to host in the next two years, is it? 
maybe next year's the rugby world cup i'm not up to date on when the rugby world cups are on but i think it might be it might be next year and the, the olympics the year after um look they've they've told you forty thousand fake tickets They've told you. Then it went down to about two thousand eight hundred. Then it turns out that the two thousand eight hundred um, could be actually tickets that were scanned, legitimate tickets scanned a couple of times before they worked, which would then probably cover the amount of, you know, tickets in their software that come back as false tickets. They're not. They're actually real tickets that weren't scanned properly. There's numerous Liverpool fans that have said this has happened. But <coughs> look. They've gone up in front of hearings. They're out giving their own um, their own sort of press conferences. They're doing all this sort of stuff. And, you know, it's it's just lie after lie. And, and there's so much video evidence there. There's so much um, photographic evidence there. There's eyewitness testimonies from not only Liverpool fans, but Real Madrid fans. Um, people in the press that aren't affiliated to Liverpool at all have told their stories. Numerous amount of people have told their stories. And said look this is what happened to me this is what this is what went on this is what went on and my thing on it is how did it, first of all take 40,000 people right my question always was how did 40,000 people get near that ground with fake tickets that's the first thing and where did they go when they didn't get in and they caused all this trouble 40,000 people is 50% of the capacity of that ground now I don't know about you, but if anyone turns up with something with a, with a fake ticket, and it happens out, listen, anyone time there was no fake tickets around the park at the start of France last week is lying to themselves, right? It happens at all major sporting events. Go to NBA, baseball, NFL, World Cups, uh, Champions Leagues, Wimbledon, Roland Garros, wherever it might be, you're going to get fake tickets. It's how it works. That's how the, the, a lot of people make their money. They sell fake tickets, right? But when you go to any of these big things, you're, you're checked quite a distance from the arena you're checked again before you get near the turnstiles so you're able to freely go to the turnstiles then and proceed to use your ticket right why are all these gangs of people around the ground if they had fake tickets they must have they, they literally got in there with no tickets they're standing outside the, 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 the turnstiles at the start of France with no tickets whatsoever they're trying to rob tickets off people right Um, the biggest thing for me is the premeditation in it all that's the one that stuck me big time because they basically said that when they found out Liverpool were in the final, um, they decided that Liverpool were going to be trouble. And they, for no reason, Liverpool, like, when's the last time you seen Liverpool in trouble? Um, are you at any game, really? And they just went with that plan anyway. They obviously got all the right gear, uniforms done up and they said, well, we better use them. And, and you know what? It's actually disgusting, Kev or Emma. It's disgusting because, like, you see women, kids, elderly people, um, people with disabilities, pregnant women, and they're being tear gassed, they're being pepper sprayed, they're being pushed, there's batons being pulled, there's guns being pointed at them, they're being held in the ground afterwards in a tunnel, um, all being pushed into really restricted areas where tear gas is then being let off, um, while gangs run rampant around them, you know, and... All this stuff about, oh, we only had a short amount of time. If you felt you didn't have enough time to host that game, you say no to it. You turn around and say, flat out, no. Right? Because Wembley would have turned around and went, we'll do it. Four months, no problem. We'll do it. Right? Because, listen, with a ground that size, okay, there's so much stuff in place as standard. Right? It's not like they have a team in place of 10 people because, you know, 
20 people are turning up at the start of France tomorrow and they need some security. This is an 80,000 seater stadium. So there'll be a standard setting in place. And then you walk off that with all the logistics and the TV and the media, which they'd be used to anyway. The start of France only opens its doors when there's big things going on. So all that stuff of short amount of times is another, it's just, it's more shite they're talking and they're throwing enough shit at the wall to see what'll stick and that's just the way it is because they, they've they've they, they had a chance to back away from this and they haven't they've doubled down and now they can't be seen for going the other way and the only way they're going to be seen is by Liverpool fans um, telling them that they're wrong showing them that they're wrong and not letting up and and look um, the Anfield Rap have been brilliant on this um, Neil Atkinson has been on TV Sky I think once Sky and BBC I think and spoke really well Dan Austin who it does still does stuff with the Anfield rap. I think he works separately from them now. But Dan Austin has been unbelievable on it. He's literally taken every word that these people have said and debunked it um, in a very, very controlled manner. He hasn't, you know, thrown his toys out of pram. He's been unbelievable on it, um, Dan Austin has. And that's off the back of him writing a piece for the Metro the day after the game, I think. Um, and he's basically watched all the... Um, press conferences and the there was the that meeting they had the other day and that was kind of broadcast and it, he he watched it in French he's a friend he's fluent in French so he's able to understand every word they're saying and he doesn't kind of it doesn't get you know lost in translation he's he's literally knows every word they're saying and he has basically picked it apart from start to finish and he's the last I've heard he's on his way to France and he's going to bring all the video and the photographic evidence with him and he's going to put on a basically he's going to put on a display as to why they're wrong and they've told you that Real Madrid fans were fine wrong Real Madrid fans um, had problems as well and look it was a complete breakdown in organisation um, from UEFA the French police the start of France whoever it was whoever was in charge there made a complete mess of them start to finish okay and you know what they should have done they should have told the police look just go easy Get everyone out of the ground. Keep it as low key as you can. Let's get this out of the way because we've made a mess of it and we need it to go away. And the best way for it to go away is to be really quiet. Get them away from the ground. The whole thing's over in three or four hours. And look, we'll take our licks and we might need to come out and say, look, we need to look at a few things with the Olympics and whatever else coming up. But they haven't. They've doubled down and trebled down and quadrupled down on this. And um, they're not going to get away with it, I'm afraid. And I'm delighted. And I hope... Not only do Liverpool get an apology, I hope Real Madrid get an apology. And I hope that it makes travelling around Europe for whoever you support a lot better from here on in because that's probably what is the best thing that can come out of what was an appalling and scary situation. Like There's people I've seen that are going towards Liverpool 30 years, 35, 40 years and said it's the scariest thing they've ever been involved in. Right? And... When and that includes Red Star Belgrade, but yeah, way. when when you're saying that, when you're saying that sort of thing, um, when you when you when you when you hear people like that saying that sort of thing, then you know how serious it is. And when you look at all the footage of Liverpool fans, if Liverpool fans were causing trouble and pepper spray goes off. What would you expect them to do? You'd expect them to disperse a bit and come back stronger. They weren't. They were standing there in complete shock as to what was going on. So I hope. Um, I hope the Anfield Rap keep getting their voice on this. I hope us talking about it gives us some sort of voice. I hope Dan Austin goes over and tears people from pillar to post when he goes to Paris and he's given the um he's given the stage um in France to put it forward directly 
to these people in their own country, on their own channels, on their own networks. That's to say, this is what happened. Now, you come back and here's all the words you said and this is what I'm showing you and what have you got to say for it? Because the best thing that could come out with this is Dan Austin gets in a room with these people live on camera and talk to them because um, they are they are causing so much trouble. They're actually causing embarrassment to the French people and and um, French politicians, people in French media and they just refuse to... Um, they just refuse to put it down. Constantly bl- blaming Liverpool fans for something that Liverpool fans actually helped divert, which is the scariest thing about it all. I was I was just actually going to say that because I was listening to Neil Atkinson this morning. Um, but it's um, it's like my kind of so outrage at their reaction to it, but it's also I'm outraged at the reaction of other fans. Now, and I know you'll say I don't mind other fans. This could have been any English team. I feel. Um, I know what happened to Liverpool. It's probably the worst thing that could probably happen for the authorities in France is that it's happened to Liverpool. This is a this is a fan base that has fought for 28 years for injustices that happened back in 1989. If they think that this is going to go away, they're going to be very much mistaken. Um, it's not going to go away. And yeah, um, I agree with you, uh, Gav. I hope Dan Austin gets in front of them on camera. Uh, and shows it to them. What way was it being reported on in Canada and America, lads? Uh, go with him, Matt Forst. Was there much in the uh, way of reporting on it? I, you guys probably don't know, but uh, the Edmonton Oilers are still in the Stanley Cup playoffs, so the only thing Canadian sports channels are talking about is hockey right now. Uh, I don't watch a ton of it, but that's literally the only thing they talk about is hockey, which is it's absolute craziness. Uh, so no, there's that, and I mean, I get most of my coverage online from British and European outlets, anyways. So I, I'm getting most of that. Like the the funniest, I'm, not much of it is funny, but that landing on the forty thousand number of they got figures of sixty thousand fans went to support Liverpool in Paris, and nineteen thousand tickets were allocated. So therefore, forty one thousand fans didn't have tickets and tried to get into the stadium when the mayor of the neighborhood they were in. You know, saying that there was thirty five, forty thousand fans that were in the fan park all day. Like it's it's laughable how bad it is. But following the reaction and learning today about as a few people in the chat have said that the French elections are coming up right away, it all of a sudden makes perfect sense why they weren't able to just put their hands up and go, Hey, listen, we made a mistake and we got it wrong. They're in full campaign mode. They're they're just gonna redouble down on their lies try to stick with it and hope that it rallies their base enough to get them reelected in the next election. And unfortunately for all football fans, Liverpool fans, the people that were at the ground, it will probably take a new sports minister, a new minister of the interior in France. They hopefully these two both lose their uh, reelection bids on the back of this, because it seems like the French public isn't being taken for a ride on this either. So hopefully they're both ousted in the elections coming up and, new people get put in and then an independent inquiry can take place maybe from the French government and uh, we can start getting some actual answers on it. But it's, it, the, it makes me proud to be a Liverpool supporter to hear journalists from, you know, BBC and Sky and BT and everything like that. And a pretty common thread that they all have was if Liverpool fans weren't as well behaved as they were on the day, this could have been a much different story. And to me, that's that's very heartening to hear that uh, that our fans conducted themselves, you know, very well in the face of that sort of aggression. 
I actually, I think I read somewhere that Liverpool fans kind of nearly created like a hu a human barrier to stop more fans coming to release the pressure on the fans that were in front. And I'm not sure if anybody saw even the stewards at the turnstiles were making people go underneath the turnstile. So the turnstiles weren't even working. Um, and this is supposed to be, uh, like you said, Gav, a stadium that's going to host Olympics and also a Rugby World Cup. Ron, was there much in the way of reporting on it over in Washington? Uh, yeah, so what what we got here was we had three main three major outlets kind of taking a look at it. Um, one was CBS slash Paramount. Uh, that's who runs. I think the I think they're they're partnered with um, I think uh, another provider, but that's the one that where you usually see guys like Micah and Kara and Tira and Reed commentating. Uh, then you have BN Sports, which caters at least in the U.S. to a more Latin American market, so they have a completely different take than everybody else. And then you have ESPN, which has a lot of UK-based uh, football writers and, uh, and journalists. Um, and to be honest, to a T, all of them kind of echoed uh, the sentiment that this this story doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Uh, and, and the and the damning part is, you know, it, when it finally got out in English English media that you know it wasn't just the Liverpool supporters that were having a tough time; it was the Real Madrid supporters as well. That was the first thing being said on on, in, on the coverage that was on BN, especially coverage in Spanish. Um, was you know a lot of Madrid fans showed up; they had similar sort of problems. Um, and then uh, I also uh, read the Athletic quite a bit, and they had a really really interesting piece on all this. And and it's and the piece kind of laid the blame at the at the feet, feet of UEFA. Um, and, and French authorities, because essentially what happened is they knew they had a staffing problem with the people who were supposed to man the kiosk and the turnstiles. Um, they normally, normally the way, it, normally there's a, normally they keep a cadre of folks who run these matches for French league football on a regular basis, and then they were going to be brought in to do this. But because a lot of these guys during during the pandemic and afterwards got new or better jobs. They never replaced them, so they were under. They knew they were. They knew they were coming into this event, event understaffed, which is why you had all the bottlenecks and all these different queues because they didn't have enough to keep as many queues open as possible. Um, so, going back to you guys' point earlier, where if, if if they knew if it comes out that they have that, that there's definitive evidence that they absolutely knew 100 for sure going into it that they weren't ready, and they took this on. They don't have a leg to stand on. This is their fault. Every last bit of it is their fault. Oh, yeah, I don't think there's any denying, and I think you'll agree, Gav, that this is 100% UEFA and the French authorities' fault. Like UEFA have, Yeah, but UEFA have kind of adjusted what they've said because they've realised now, like, they've had a bit of sense and realised this isn't going the way we want it to go. And, and let's be honest about it. Look, UEFA... Ha, loads of times have made statements to Plumar's people and to make it look like, oh, we'll say enough, but we won't say it all, and people will it'll go away, right? But even when you wafer have backed, when when you wafer are, are literally the the, the, sh the major shareholder in this game, they're the they're the people hosting the game. When the people that they put in place to host the game do what they're doing. UEFA get completely dragged back into it. And everything UEFA have said will be questioned. And everything that happened will ultimately come back 
and be pushed on your wafer. So your wafer are probably looking at these French um, um, government officials and stuff like that and saying, what the fuck? Why are, why are you doing this? Because they know it's coming back on them. And the staff stuff is great. The staff stuff is great. Um, and what Ron said, we were being under, understaffed. And I, I, I fully agree with that. But I, I go back to the original argument, right? If you are understaffed, okay, you do not understaff yourself away from the ground. You need you you need to have a barrier somewhere. You need to have, a, you know, you know, if something happens somewhere anywhere in the world, you go right. If something happens in New York, they go right. Five block radius, bang, no one's allowed in, right? That's how it works. If it happens in Dublin, right? If it happens. Bang on the on the O'Connell Bridge on the Liffey to go right. Listen from that street to that street and that way that way nothing comes in or out. That's as simple as that. That's the way sporting events are meant to be run. And that and look, you probably didn't need every turnstile to be manned three hours before the game, right? Because if you would have had the proper perimeter put in place, a fake tickets wouldn't have got through, right? And b People that had no interest in having a fake, even a fake ticket, wouldn't have gotten near a turnstile. The whole idea of these things is, is to filter things down and slow things down in order that it works at the turnstile. Because you do not want 20,000 people turning up at one end of the stadium for X amount of gates. It does not work. So what do you do? You have a perimeter. And when you have a perimeter, that filters out people with no tickets, you're not getting in. That's a fake ticket, you're not getting in. But even the people with tickets, the time it's taking you to check their ticket, check their bag, and move them on, right? Instead of 10 of them walking down the street together, they're all walking down 50 yards apart, which means there's space. And when they get to the turnstiles, instead of 10 people trying to get through a turnstile in one minute, you're getting three or four through in one minute. But what happened? No perimeter. So everyone just piled in on top of the ground. Tickets, maybe fake tickets. I'm no doubt there was a couple of fake tickets. Um, gangs from the area that were literally able to go and do what they liked. So, regard the torn style thing for me is the culmination of it. But it should have been way further back. You've heard, I've heard stories of people getting off the metro, not knowing where they're going. No signs for the Stade de France. They literally carried on like, ah, oh, you know the Stade de France. Everyone knows where it is. No, there was people walking through door tracks over hills, waste ground, you know, to try to get to the Stade de France, one of the premier <laughs> premier stadiums in world football. It's it's insane, you know, the sort of way. And no matter, they're trying to make out that the problem is, oh, look what happened around here and this is what was happening. No, if you go back out to your perimeter, right, all these people with fake tickets and all these people that shouldn't be there because you've no interest in being having tickets would not be outside the ground. It's as simple as that. And they're telling lie after lie. And I hope Liverpool fans go after them and after them and after them until they at least apologise and could possibly off the back of it lose their jobs. You know, the scary thing the scary thing to me is when you think about it, is yeah, every every stadium in every country that they do this at is different. And there's always going to be uh, little X factor things that are particular to that situation. But a lot, of the, a lot of the questions and a lot of the points you're bringing up, Gab, you got, and everybody else has brought up, you know, this isn't their first rodeo, obviously. <laughs> so why, how, did, how did you get this far into it and not have these questions, answers for these questions and not have this stuff figured it out? Figured out. I mean, you, you do this, you, you have this, get, this particular game at a, large, at a large venue somewhere in Europe happens every single year. How, are you, how, how, how could you get, how could you 
how could you not have asked these questions and had answers for them and had this stuff sorted by the time this got started? I, I just don't understand that. And the funny yeah, thing is, the me, funny thing, the funny, sorry, the funny thing on it is, the start of France is 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 the scene of a terrorist attack, right? Or, or an attempt at terrorist attack going back is a four or five years now. I don't know what year it was, right? Um, when the Battle Clan and stuff happened, and it was a horrific night in Paris, right? And still in 2022, there are so many unknown people hanging around the start of France with no reason to be there, none. So forget what your report is on, oh, an English team has made it to the final, right? Forget your report on, oh, there's 60,000 people in a fan park, which for 45,000 of them, I think, stayed there, right? Mm. At the end of the day, the scene of a terrorist or attempted a terrorist attack at that stadium, right, four, five, six years later, wherever it might be, I think maybe in 2016, but still loads and loads of people that you can't identify, you can't track, and walked freely up to the Stade de France and got within 50, 60, 70 yards of the pitch, genuinely. And no one knows who they are. That's what you have to ask yourself. 2015, Alison says. Um, thank you. But that's that's the mind-blowing thing for me. You know, that's the... Like, Ron lives in, Ron lives in America, right? Matt lives in, in Canada, right? I've been in America since 9-11, numerous occasions, right? Security is insane, Right? Security everywhere, wherever you go, you know you're being watched. There's cameras everywhere. They're watching fucking everything, right? It's like Big Brother on speed, right? Because they know, right, that after 2000, uh, 2001 or 9-11, it can happen any time, any place, and anyone can do it, right? And they take it absolutely seriously. But what happened at the start of France at the weekend, I know we're going on a bit about it, or I am in particular because I'm fuming over it, what happened at the Stade de France weekend was a complete disregard for security. Not only for the Stade de France, its staff, the teams, the officials, the, you know, the, the staff of the clubs and the people that walked there. It was a complete disregard for their safety, their health and safety and their protection. That's what it was. And the Liverpool fans were the ones caught in the middle of it. They weren't causing it. They were the ones caught in the middle of what was just complete and utter mayhem with regards to organisation and which culminated in fans standing there not knowing what to go, what's going on locked out tear gassed you know um, pepper sprayed guns batons you name it all because they didn't want to take this Champions League security health and safety seriously that's the end of it and until they apologise and until they actually just probably resign from their positions I don't think Liverpool fans will let it go and they're right to and not only Liverpool fans Every football fan that's watched that, you know, every football fan that's watched that needs to look at this and go, my team could be in Europe next season. You know, West Ham, you know, Man United, Arsenal, um, Chelsea, Spurs, Man City, um, Liverpool themselves, right? They, they could be going to a stadium in France next season for a game or somewhere for a final and experience something like that. But if they were to stand up for this now, and make an example of what's being done on Saturday, you might, you just might be able to go to a European final or, a, or a, an away game in Europe next season and feel a little bit safer because police and officials and UEFA might look and go, we can't do that again because we do that again. We're in, we're, we're in trouble already, but this could get completely out of hand. I, I, fully, I fully agree. And instead of kind of point scoring, that's what I was trying to say earlier on, fans should be actually 
backing the Liverpool fans and making noise themselves about it. I mean, this is, at the end of the day, this is nothing against French people or anything like that. It's no. literally the, the the authorities looking after the, the, the game. I mean, PSG even coming out with their banner. Wasn't it PSG came out with the, the banner? The women's game. Say, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and like, so it, this is something that they're obviously known for. They're known for this kind of heavy handedness. Um, and like I said, it, it was Liverpool this time, but it, it could have been any English club. That could have been Chelsea and Real Madrid. It could have been Man City and Real Madrid. I know they specifically said that Liverpool fans pose a problem. I don't know where they got that from. But I, I think it's it was the English element as well. But didn't somebody come out and say, look what happened at the Euros? I yeah, look what happened at Wembley and he felt they were under yeah. threat of a pitch invasion. Like, <laughs> how can you have a pitch invasion when you have no one in the fucking ground? <laughs> What were you doing in spirit? Like yeah. it, it makes no sense. But listen, it's um, there's a long way to go on this. Yeah, I think absolutely a long, long way. way. Well, well, I, if if I can just get one last thing in, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. I think everybody is at danger of misplacing where the majority of their anger and the blame should be put, and that is squarely at the feet of UEFA, because this wasn't the French government presents the Champions League final. This was UEFA's Champions League final. And it's not the first time. And Liverpool fans that went to Athens talk about the experiences that they had there. UEFA puts this event on. UEFA makes all the money from these events. And the fact that they weren't out immediately after these events started unfolding, saying the French have completely dropped the ball on this. The fact that they went along with the BS that was being peddled by the French politicians that were trotted out to the media. And now like Gav said, that UEFA is starting to change their tune a little bit on it. Well, that's just, that's the first rat off of a sinking ship because they're, I mean, UEFA has a history of dubious business practices, you know, um, corruption. Like they make so much money off of these events. And the one thing that they're supposed to do is make sure that the football match can go off as planned and have the spectacle be the spectacle that it deserves to be. So for UEFA to not have guarantees from the French government of security cordons, because you're right, Gav, they, all the on the ground evidence, the firsthand accounts was people saying there was supposed to be a pre-check. And by the time they got there, it had been dismantled and shut down and they were just filtering people through. UEFA should be up in arms about this because that's a dereliction of duty on the behalf of the host who they gave this event to, but they're not because they are also complicit in it. And that I don't think UEFA is thinking, oh, I wish these French politicians would shut up. I'm sure they've got their rope factory going at full speed, just keep stringing it out and letting them go because the more that these French politicians talk, the more that people will focus on the French politicians and be angry at the French police, and rightly so, but at the end of the day, this is the UEFA Champions League final. And they put on two events very similar to this in the weeks, in the week before. They know how to do this. And the fact that they couldn't do it, I think at the end of the day, they they put their name on everything. They've got their branding all over the stadium. Like people said, they, they had time to wrap the stadium in UEFA branding. Not French government branding, UEFA branding. And that that to me, I think, is is where some people are... We, do, we just need to redirect our energy towards it because at the end of the day, this is why things like the Super League might not be as bad an idea as we all thought at the same time. Like, it, You want to solve this problem? Two-legged finals. One in Madrid, one in Liverpool. And we'll handle our own. Yeah, fair. 
He mentioned the Super League. We're allowed to do that for the summer. So we're allowed to do that until the end of June. Now the pageant is hanging out there in the wilderness is waiting to pop up. So look, that's that's an hour and nine minutes, or an hour an hour and ten minutes, and it's actually flown by. I've uh, yeah, actually enjoyed, enjoyed this enjoyed this again. Uh, Gav, anything else from you before we wrap up? Um, um. I usually have loads. Of oh, I do, I do, I do. Uh, Failicon. <laughs> Jesus, thanks for... Who, who's the, Matt is telling me again what to That's say. Matt this again. <laughs> Jeez, he's like me PA. Um, I'm going to get an associate producer credit at this rate. Yeah, I know, and I'll send you full-size, adult-size cans of Guinness as well as payment. Um, so, um, yeah, Failicon is our charity partner. Um, link is in the description. Um, if you want to donate, or if you just want to read about her, who they are or, um, and what they do, Look, if you don't want to read about who the are and do, take it from me. They're a fantastic charity. Um, we're trying to raise 10,000 euros for them. We've gone to around 5,300 euros for them. Um, and we will stay on it until we get to 10K. Our golf day is, what day is it? Thursday? Tomorrow week. Tomorrow week. Tomorrow week. We've had a couple of people pull out because of one, three people. Two from injury, um, and they are genuine injuries. Um, and one for a work commitment. So if there's anybody out there that wants to play next Friday, um, might be available. The weather is not looking great. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in there. And um, the weather's not looking great, but then again, it's Ireland. It could be twenty degrees next Friday. Gorgeous. So, um, but if you want to play, with there is three places left. Um, and they are free of charge because the the boys that pay for them have said, look, don't want their money back if someone can take my place. So there is three places there. Force come, force served. Get in contact with us, lfcdaytrippers at gmail.com. Um, IP Vanish is the sponsor for the show as well. Um, IP Vanish is a VPN service that helps you protect your data. Um, your data, your personal information, your location, wherever it might be. Um, rated 4.605 on Trustpilot. I've literally have this down. I fall asleep saying this stuff. Um, but look, you can protect yourself on your phone, your tablet, your desktop, wherever you're, where you're at home, on the move, wherever it might be. Um, most of them are around 8 to $15 a month for a VPN. This one at the moment is working out at $3.20 per month for your first year. Check that out. It's in the description as well. Uh, www.ipvanish.com forward slash day trippers and um, Veranda Cheese can come back into the chat now because I've finished saying that. I think that's it, Emma. Um, Thursday today, sports unplugged tomorrow. We're off for a couple of days. We'll be back on Monday then. Um, we will have this show next week. We will have winners and losers. I don't know what we're going to do with that. It's probably just going to be a big World Games preview um, because it's the summer and we like having fun. <laughs> In the summer, we will have drafts, we will have quizzes, we will have a new transfer show coming to you next week. And um, yeah, we're going to keep as much as we can going throughout the summer. We are going to have a podcast series throughout the summer. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Probably going to be somewhere between six and ten episodes. Won't be live, but it will be available across your downloads. And when we do that, we'll let you know about it as well. Perfect. And uh, Matt, anything more from you? No, just uh, clear up a few things that were mentioned in the chat. Uh, I am a Green Bay Packers fan. That is uh, the classiest organization in all of the NFL. And also, we do not see those type of heavy-handed policing at events here in Canada at all. Like, you, you, you might see a couple of ceremonial Mounties with their puffy-thighed pants, but that's, that's pretty much about it. The, the scenes from Paris were disturbing, and we shouldn't see that in this day and age. Cool. And Ron, but yeah, yourself, no, all anything good. More, anything more to add, Ron? No, uh, thanks again for, for for setting this up. Um, you know, looking forward to uh, 
see what, see what we're going to get into over the summer, in ter- especially in terms of uh, transfers. I think I think this will be this is going to be a very very interesting summer. However, however it shakes out, and uh, looking forward to talking to you guys about it. Good stuff. Quick question in there from Laura. Uh, Matt, does Matt have a cheese head? It's, I don't. I've told myself I'll only buy a cheese head if I uh, ever get the honor of attending a game at Lambeau Field. What's a but cheese head? Okay. Sorry, sorry, no, 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 you can stop there. And what would the word you use with regards to the Green Bay Packers a minute and a half ago? They're the class they're they're community owned organizations. No, 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 no. Just tell me the words you said a minute and a half ago. The classiest organization in the whole of the NFL, I think you said. You got it. The only team yeah. that doesn't have a And they're walking around with blocks of cheese on their head. Hey, you know you're classy when you can pull off a foam cheese head. Okay. Classy <laughs> foam cheese heads. What a way to finish. Good stuff. Well, uh, Gav, thanks very much. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining us again, all the way from Canada, and Ron as well. My name's Emmett. Thanks for joining us in the comments as well. This has been Viewer's Voice, and we'll speak to you again next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.